Wednesday, September 25th, 2019. Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. This is a vacation episode because at the time of this podcast drop, I'll be in Hawaii living my best life. So this was recorded earlier in the week than normal. Looking at the numbers, looking at the reviews, I'm so glad many enjoyed the bonus episode of Mel Brooks that was finally dropped last week. A couple of reviews came in before I left. This first one comes from Paid Too Much. I don't know what you paid too much for, but I'm sorry that you did. Great series. The podcasts are interesting and informative. They give a lot of great information for veterans and their family members. Thank you. Paid too much. Hopefully your next time is free. And this next one comes from Double Bruin Nate. Great resource. Having a platform that promotes and advocates vets helping vets is absolutely amazing. I am honored that I got the opportunity to speak with Tanner and thankful that the VA was able to secure this level of talent on the podcast. Thank you for those kind of words. I hope the reach continues to expand and Born the Battle continues to grow. I can tell that was from our last guest, Army veteran Nathan Goncalves. What a great interview that was and what a great story he has. If you haven't already, check out last week's episode featuring him. Um, who He's doing an outstanding service out there in California, reuniting veterans with their families. All right, so I recorded this earlier, so there's going to be no news releases, and we're doing a benefits breakdown a week early. One, it is still Suicide Prevention Month, and this week's benefits breakdown has a service that ties into it. Two, next week is the 16th anniversary of the Battle of Mogadishu, and next week's interview is a veteran of that battle. So let's get right into it. This week's interview is Pennsylvania National Guard veteran Michael Fisher. He is the senior readjustment counselor for the entire Department of Veterans Affairs, meaning he leads and has direct oversight of over 300 vet centers, 80 mobile vet centers, and the vet center call center. And he sat down with me before I left, and we broke it all down. How vet centers started, what their services are, and who is eligible. So let's get right into it. Let's break down the VA vet centers. Enjoy. Pennsylvania National Guard veteran, correct? Correct. I was in Iraq in 2000, 2005. I was in the infantry uh, and then uh, through my, went through the whole deployment, got hurt, and uh, was medically discharged after that. Gotcha, gotcha. Why did you decide to serve in the first place? Serve in the military? Yeah. You know, I was in college and I was thinking about going into ROTC. I was in ROTC, actually. And uh, I wanted to experience, if I was going to become an officer, I wanted to see what the enlisted guys and gals were going through. So I enlisted in the local National Guard uh, unit, went to basic training, was drilling, you know, doing the, the every weekend drill or every month drill type thing. And then through my college experience, I, uh, I just went in a different direction and decided not to continue with ROTC and, and focused on different things, but stayed in the National Guard. So when did you, when did you come in? I joined in, in 96 and served for about 10 years all the whole time in, in that infantry unit in the Pennsylvania National Guard. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, and why did you decide to get out? Well, I was uh, banged up a little bit in Iraq. 
So uh, after I came back from my uh, my deployment, was in a medical hold unit for uh, for quite some time, and uh, was just medically discharged after that. Gotcha. And how did you find your way to the current position that you have now as the, uh, let me know if I get this right, the Chief Readjustment Counseling Officer for the VA's Veteran Health Administration? Yeah, absolutely. It's a long title. It's a it long, is a long title. What's yeah. it mean? Uh, I oversee uh, the operations policy and oversight of the 300 vet centers, the 80 mobile vet centers. We also have a vet center call center yeah. and all of the staff in the organization. Right now, we have about 2,200 employees across the country. Wow. Um, how did you uh, find your way to that position? Were you, were you a, did you come to a vet center or how did you, how did you find yeah. vet centers? You know, it's, it's actually an interesting story. And it started with that medical hold unit uh, when I came back from, uh, from Iraq. So I'm in medical hold in Fort Dix, New Jersey, and I get a knock on the door uh, and it was a vet center counselor. And he wouldn't let me shut my barracks room door until I talked to him. Interesting. And it was one of those, I, I don't want to come. I don't want to talk to anybody. I, I want to be in my own little place. Miserable. And he forced me to come and talk to him. And it was that, I think that experience, that helping me say yes, when all I wanted to do was say no, started that ball rolling. You know, at that point, I was uh, was going through my medical issues. I've had a couple of surgeries at that point. Um I was trying to figure out what my life was going to be. I mean, I already had a job because I was in the National Guard, so I already had a civilian life. But yeah. what was I really going to do once I got out? And he really helped me through all of that. And from that, realizing that in dealing with my own transition from life after Iraq or life after the military, I knew, OK, I want to get I want to work with veterans now. So we, we he helped me with that plan, uh, became a social worker. Uh, while I was becoming a social worker, I got actually got a position at a vet center uh, as an outreach worker and just worked my way through working, you know, different positions with the vet center and our district offices and then up to the national office in my current position. I actually think I'm I'm the typical vet center employee in that serve first, wanted to continue that mission, wanted to give back uh, to, you know, fellow, fellow veterans, their families and those kind of things. Uh, and then either get work towards an advanced degree, like a social worker or a psychologist or something, or mental health professional or something like that. And then just continue that mission. In fact, uh, over 70% of the staff at vet centers are veterans and the majority are actually combat veterans. Interesting. Um, so you experienced a vet center and you were like, this is where I want to put yeah. my effort in the civilian world. That's great. Um, at, as you and I know, it's the 40th anniversary of a vet center of what vet centers are. Um, for me personally, uh, the Everett vet center was the first civilian world interaction I had ever had with the VA. So, um, and I think I needed help in getting my paperwork explained or something. And they, they were, they were great. 40 years ago, how did vet centers come to be? So it came out of VA with the help of Congress, recognizing that the Vietnam combat veteran was not using VA for services hmm. or not a large number of them weren't using VA for services or is, they had a. Is that different from uh, like World War Two or World War One veterans? Was, yes. it, was it? OK. Yes. There was a, a thing called the readjustment studies that happened over the 1970s. And what they really found out, there was trust issues. Hmm. Uh, so they created vet centers separate from VA medical centers. Hmm. And our focus was 
Go out and find the, the Vietnam combat veteran. Get them comfortable with the idea of using VA by we would provide some services, some counseling. And then when they were comfortable, getting them out to other places within VA. And we were going to do that by actually hiring combat veterans. So we were the first uh, or the beginning of that peer-to-peer model within VA. And for us, peer-to-peer means veteran to veteran. Yeah. So we've always... We always in our in our history always had that connection or to hiring a large number of veterans. And in fact, our job was to go out, find all the Vietnam combat veterans, get them comfortable with using VA and then getting them out to those other places. Hmm. Gotcha. Um, you talked about Vietnam veterans. Who else is eligible for for vet center services? Well, right now, and this is actually pretty exciting over the over the last 40 years, we've expanded to that. It doesn't matter where you are in your journey. If you're an active duty service member, if you're a veteran, if you're in the National Guard Reserve, if you meet one of the following criteria, you can come into a vet center now and forever. And it starts with, did you serve? Do you have to have like paperwork at at like VA medical facilities or is it like you don't have to need nothing? You just need like a VA ID card or a DD-214. Absolutely. But I think that our eligibility is really based around service in a specific area or experiencing a specific kind of trauma. Now, we have ways of figuring out, you know, showing that you served in those areas sure. really is about, you know, we have a, a couple of different items. First and foremost, did you serve in a combat zone or area of hostility? That goes back to our roots. It goes back to that that Vietnam combat veteran. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where that, that combat zone is or was or when it was. So World War II, uh, even before that, if, if those individuals are around. Uh, area of hostility, we use the DOD definition, which really is dangerous place. Uh, we verify that. That changes. Through, what's that? Because <laughs> that changes from time to time. It does. It does. It does. <laughs> We verify that through a discharge document, through awards. So I think think in terms of like expeditionary medal or or higher special pays like tax exemptions and being able to show that. Hmm. But the reality is and and the reality is if you walk into a vet center with nothing, we're still going to provide services. We're still going to then our job is to help you get those documents. Good. That's good. The next eligibility criteria is if you experienced a military sexual trauma. And it doesn't matter where that trauma happened, if even on a drill weekend, we don't we don't ask questions or we're not asking you to verify the trauma happened. It's just come in and, and it's, it's just we meet you where you're at. So if you say that happened, all we're verifying is that you served. Next eligibility criteria is and the way the law is written, it is that you provided direct assistance to the casualties of war, but you were not located in a war zone yourself. So like mortuary services or exactly. Um, Body bearers mm-hmm. over at Eighth and I. Your doctors, your nurses, your social workers, mortuary affairs, people who deal every day with the realities of war, but never went to a war zone themselves can come into a vet center. Mm. The next group is unmanned aerial vehicle crews. So these are your UAVs, what used to be known as drone crews, yeah. people who are doing combat operations anywhere in the world uh, and and but not in the maybe not be in the war zone themselves. They can come into vet centers. So, like those guys out in Vegas, you know. Exactly. Oh, what's that? What's that? What's that Amazon show that just came out? Uh, Jack Ryan. They they have a mm-hmm. very that. So basically, UAV pilots that are out there. Got gotcha. you. Know, that's good. an interesting group. Uh, that is a group that is pulling triggers and seeing up close and personal what happens when you pull a trigger, and then they have to go home and spend time with their family that night. 
So it's that turning mm-hmm. on and off that switch. I'm a warfighter. Now I'm, I'm, I'm family. I'm, I'm deployed. I'm not deployed. Yeah. And doing that in real time. You know, when I was in Iraq, I was in Iraq. I thought about I, I thought about home, but my mind was focused on the mission. Yeah, it's right in front and of you. Exactly. Yeah. Those individuals are living in dual in dual worlds. And I think that's what's it's that's going to be an interesting challenge to how we provide services in deal in, in helping them accomplish whatever goals they might have. Yeah, uh, and it's and it's living in both in those two worlds, deployment and then an evening, not deployment. Hmm. The the next group that's eligible for vet centers, and this is a grandfathering uh, that we had from from when we originally started, and that is if you're a Vietnam era veteran who went to a vet center prior to 2014, yeah, you can continue receiving services. We also provide services regardless of discharge character, and this really goes back to. We are that place where people can begin their journey. Yeah. You know, I think that discharge character, I think that is a, an interesting conversation. What we're finding is people serve honorably in war. And then they come home and they make not great decisions. Yeah. Because they're Maybe, they're readjusting back to their, you know, how do you how do you fully readjust back to civilian life? I think uh, uh a couple episodes ago, uh, Cortez Riggs, and I asked him based on another episode, which was Danny Chung, who was the director of uh, military affairs at Microsoft. I asked him, I said, do, do you feel like you've ever fully adjusted? You've ever full, like you fully transitioned? You know, I asked him this question and he goes, I don't think one ever does. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you see that from your experience as well? I do. You know, when we talk about things like post-traumatic stress and, 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 and those kind of things, I don't think there's a cure for that. Yeah. I think that what our focus is to help people set goals, to work towards something, but also to understand what those experiences mean, uh, what are the signs and symptoms. And then as you start experiencing them, then, okay, here's the tools I have in place to be able to deal with. No matter the discharge. No matter the discharge. You know, back to that is all of those things showing up to formation late. uh, Maybe someone did something worse. Hmm. It doesn't negate the fact you served honorably in war. Yeah. Our job really within vet centers is to help connect those individuals to begin that discharge upgrade process. So getting connected to a VSO, veteran service organization, or maybe even back to DOD to start that process. Maybe it's going to uh, VA medical centers and, and walk through the adjudication process to see if they're if they can access health care. And I think it's also to be there for that individual that they they get that letter in hand that says, we're not going to be able to upgrade your discharge. Mm. So we can say to them, okay, what's next? And have that place that that they can lean on or to be able together, we can say, okay, where we're going to go there, where are we going to go from here? And it goes back to setting goals. Lay out goals, prioritize, what's the next step? So that's just in the beginning, it was Vietnam combat. It, It was also Vietnam era. So we just continued that. Did, you know, any Vietnam yeah. veterans pretty much grandfathered in. Exactly. Got you. Uh, prior that they got services prior that they got in services 2014. Got so you. that is, uh, like we said, it goes back to service in a specific area, experiencing a specific kind of trauma. Yeah. Now, we don't require enrollment in VHA healthcare. 
We don't require service connection. We don't require means testing. And it goes back to why we were really founded. And that is that place away from the medical centers designed to get people comfortable with the idea of using VA. Yeah. And when they get comfortable, then out to other places. That could mean helping them or getting them connected to somebody to help out with a claims issue or those kind of things. Our eligibility criteria was that, set to be really non-bureaucratic. Gotcha. That was going to be my next question. Uh, we talked about eligibility, but what are some of the services? Like, I got help with paperwork, but what else do, do vet centers offer to veterans? Vet centers, at the, at the very minimum, it's individual group marriage family counseling, yeah. outreach, and then also partnership with the community. So I think it's first, it's important to define what is readjustment counseling. And I think that is, is or what is readjustment? I think readjustment is the lifelong process of identifying a goal. Yeah. Creating a support structure around yourself to accomplish that goal. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, your family or whoever you decide that to be. Accomplishing that goal and identifying a new one and doing it over and over and over again. Now, readjustment counseling is this wide spectrum of helping people identify those goals. Yeah. And when we say spectrum, on one side of the, the spectrum, the services we provided, it's what do I do now I'm not in a combat zone or area of hostility? Do I stay in the military? Do I get out? Do I use my benefits? What are they? All the way to your more socioeconomic type things. Yeah. All the way to the other side of the spectrum, which is I think I'm going to hurt myself or somebody else, or I've experienced significant war trauma or military sexual trauma. So you're more traditional mental health services. And then everything in between. So we have this wide spectrum where our counselors are helping veteran service members identify goals wherever they want to go with their life, creating that support structure because we do have the authority to provide services to families as well helping them accomplish that goal and identifying new ones and doing that over and over again. Like wives, kids, parents. Exactly. Got you. Now, our family services are a little bit different uh, than, say, in DOD. And that is the family services we provide has to be connected to the military experience or the goal of that veteran, that service During the member. Trend, getting in the and trend. that really goes to it's helping that veteran service member wherever they want to take things next. Sure. And it's that the family, which which could be an individual counseling session with a, a significant other or a child or something like that. But it's help designed to help that veteran accomplish their goal. Got you. In addition to the the individual group marriage family counseling that we that we provide veterans and their families. We also do bereavement counseling uh, if that family member experienced the, uh, the death uh, of a loved one. Uh, that could mm. be if that death happened on active duty. It doesn't matter when uh, what was going on on active duty, just that the death occurred there. We also provide bereavement services or continue services for family members if an active one of our active clients, a uh, veteran or service member passes. In addition to that, we can also provide uh, services to the family members of deployed service members to help them cope with the deployment. So able to come come into a vet center and and work through whatever challenges they're they're having as their loved one is deployed. You were talking about bereavement. Is there a way like say I came into a vet center and I'm already working on a goal? And then something happened in the family and I am grieving over, over a loved one. Is that also covered under bereavement to, in order to attain that goal? You're talking about like a veteran or service member? You say like a veteran service member comes in and it's it's maybe someone in their immediate family. Maybe it's their wife, maybe it's their, their, their parents or something. And it's 
that grief is preventing them from attaining the next goal. Is that something that you guys would offer as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's just part of that individual so counseling and group counseling. Yeah, that that service mm-hmm. member or veteran is experiencing. Our bereavement services really are designed to help family members who are who experience oh, the death of an active veteran. One. Got it. Exactly. Got it. Gotcha, exactly. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, we can go back and forth of grief counseling and bereavement counseling and stuff like that. I think the most important thing is that it's 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 covered. Yeah, it's, it's cool that it's covered by the, for a family member for yeah. for someone that was active duty. That's very good. And you were talking about another service. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, it's at, it's it's out. We have that ability to be able to connect with family members while their loved one is deployed. Oh, so good. while that that loved one is you know in in a, a war zone or area of hostility or doing those kind of things, we can provide services to help that family cope with that deployment. Yeah, and this is really allows us. You know, in a perfect world, it would be. You know, we're providing services to that veteran or service member, the family that that individual then goes back on active duty or is still on active duty. They deploy out. We continue while they're gone. Once that person comes back, we just keep moving forward. It could also allow us to to meet individuals, you know, to new new individuals, rather, or bring more new service members in, meaning we provide great services to the family. Yeah, and then uh, when that, that person comes, you're back. establishing that level of trust there. Exactly, that's good. So um, that's pretty, probably pretty, a little bit easier for the National Guards to serve, no to know that you guys are there. Um, is it a little more difficult to reach the active duty members on base uh, as far as like when their husband deploys or their uh, spouse deploys? You know, I think that's why partnership is so important, and going out and and creating. Partnerships, when we think of community partnerships, that could be with internal to VA over at like a VA medical center, or it could be external to include going to a family support group that they're, that you're going to have in DOD or using those kind of connecting with those kind of services within the military to try to get to those family members or to get to the active duty service members themselves. Very good. Very good. You know, the, the, the other thing, and it goes back to our eligibility, our services are provided without time limitation, and there's no cost for, for the services to that veteran or service member. What do you mean by no time limitation? So you can come in today, you can come in 30 years from now to use vet center services. You can come in that entire time. You can come, you know, it's coming in and out and accessing it as the way that you see fit. Uh, you're not going to come in and we're all, it's not like we're only going to say you only get 12 sessions. Uh, or it's it's limited in any it's not limited in any way. It's really at whatever your wherever your pace is. Now the cost is that we believe everything is prepaid through that individual's military service. Yeah. Now the one thing that separates or there's a couple of was things. Was that, that a, was that a myth? Was that, that a, was that you only get twelve sessions or uh, what are some myths that you kind of run into as a vet center? You know, I think the first one is that we're, are you part of the VA medical center system? And that gets into that, you know, do I need service connection and those kind of things? We're not part of the VA medical center structure itself, but we are connected to them through collaboration and referral. It starts with our differences. We don't require that service connection or that means tester. You don't have to be enrolled in healthcare. But like you look at your, like your experience, you came in and you started getting some information. Yeah. I see our role in that case is to how do we help guide or help connect you to the places to get access to those services or benefits also while creating an almost like a roadmap. Yep. You know, you, I, I use the VA, the vet center as a roadmap for myself when exactly. I first got out. It's great. Setting those goals. 
and and figuring out where where you want to take that. And, and our job is to really say, okay, how can we help help you with that? Put you in the driver's seat as that veteran or service member. So I think the other and that goes into while we're not part of that that structure, we're connected to them through collaboration and referral. You know what I how I call it is that if you come into a vet center with a broken foot, we can't fix the broken foot. Yeah, but we know where to go for that. Yeah, and I think it's really important that we we have those relationships with our VA medical center counterparts, so we can make those referrals over. We don't. We're not a medical model within a vet center. And we're really what that means is that we're not in the business of diagnosis. Yeah, we're in the business of dealing with the symptoms associated with the diagnosis, helping that individual identify goals somewhere in that large spectrum that we talked about. Now, if, if a veteran or service member could benefit from healthcare or medical services like medication. Uh, or intensive inpatient services or something along those lines, our job is to bridge that gap through our relationships with our medical center counterparts Mm. and be able to help that seamless referral over to get those kind of services. Build that roadmap. Exactly. You know, our one other thing that makes vet centers very special is that we enjoy a very high level of confidentiality in that the only people who will know you're coming to a vet center are the people you tell the people you allow to know through a signed release of information, or if you come in and there's a serious intent to harm yourself or somebody else. Mm. We are mandated reporters because we, our staff are mental health professionals. Yeah. But other than that, it's really putting that veteran or service member in the driver's seat of their care and allowing them to make decisions about who they want their care team to be. Because you're, so you're not sharing your records with like the medical facility. This is just your own records. Exactly. Internal. Got you. Unless the veteran says it's okay. And that's that signed release of information. And we're very respectful of where that veteran, where that service member wants to go. Uh, and just being very respectful of that. And I think that's part and what helps build trust hmm. with that individual. Because today they might be very fearful of something. Yeah. As we build that trust, as we build that therapeutic relationship, three months from now, that might change. And there might be other benefits and services that that individual should be using. And we can help bridge that or make that connection. Got you. And you guys, you guys operate on some kind of off hours too, right? You guys aren't, do. you guys don't normally, it isn't a nine to five thing, right? Absolutely. For a vet center. Talk about that a little bit. You know, it's, I think we're, our job is to decrease barriers to care. You know, I, I look at my, my own experience I wanted to say no. Yeah. You could have told me anything my, I was going to say no to. I see at vet centers, our job is to help people say yes. And we get aggressive when we do that. One of those, I think, reasons that are reasons that, that uh, people say no is that I can't get an appointment with my schedule. So all of our vet centers have some kind of non-traditional hours, whether that's in the evening, it could be early in the morning, it could be on the weekends, but really designed to to help meet that needs of that local I think, community. I think weekends help a lot because everyone's got a nine to five or everyone's yeah. got a, you know, a lot of, a lot of veterans have a gig, a lot of veterans have a nine to five. And it's like, it's like me, I can't even, uh, I can't even really take my own personal time off to really get my own crap straight. You know, I, I was hoping I can find something on the weekend. Well, it's great that, that vet centers have stuff on the weekends for that part of a, of a roadmap. Um, we're talking about non-traditional hours, um, but you've also got some mobile vet centers that, that operate in non-traditional places. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct. We do. Uh, I, when I first started, I remember seeing one in NASCAR at the Richmond racetrack. Uh, as of this recording, uh, it's, it's hurricane season. Um, and last year I saw you guys, uh, go where there's disasters, right? 
Correct. Why? You know, well, I think first let's let's talk about our approach with our mobile vet centers. You know, in in a vet center, we do individual group marriage family counseling. We also partner with the community. So the community will actually come in and do do office hours. So we could have a veteran service officer doing an office hour at a vet center. Uh, we have swing space for that. It could be someone from the Department of Labor. We might have a, a pro bono lawyer doing those kind of work. Interesting. In addition to that, we also have an outreach function. And our definition of outreach is going out and creating face-to-face connections to create access to care. Now, this is the infantryman in me coming out. We have mechanized outreach and we have straight leg outreach. Mm. Our mechanized outreach is our mobile vet centers. Okay. And really what, how we see those is I, I, we think of those as demand developers. Going out into these distant communities where there's not physical structures there or they're far away from vet centers and trying to understand what is the demand look like there. Are there people that are interested in getting services? How can we connect with them? And we do that through some outreach, as well as providing direct services. Those vehicles are have a large space in the back for confidential counseling. Hmm. So we're able to provide some services to that community to try to understand what is the need there and how often do we have to come back there or do we need to create something more static, some kind of uh, like a uh, brick and mortar. Exactly. Exactly. In in that community. Now, to the other point that you brought up, we are heavily involved in emergency response, and that is sending the mobile vet centers and counseling staff out to the community to start engaging with veterans. Uh, and getting them connected, especially in these times of need. Yeah. I, I see one of the roles as vet centers, and this is something we borrow from Native American tradition. And it was, it was from the beginning of the organization. That is, it is your community that sends you to war. It is then your community's responsibility to welcome you home and to begin to give your experience meaning. Whatever meaning you want that to be. For some, it is, I want to go and get, I want to access benefits, or I want to go to school, or I want to do this. For others, it's, I just went through a year of hell, and I need to make heads or tails of what's going on. I just want to go fishing. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And then everything in between. I also see ourselves as that force in the community that rallies the community together to do that, to welcome home those who serve, to begin that conversation about what what meaning do you want out of your service? Where do you want the rest of your yeah. life to go? But why do you guys go to austere environments where it's like uh, like a disaster? Like what, what, why are there mobile vet centers that hit a disaster? I, it, one of the first things I receive within the VA when a hurricane hits, like, ah, oh, mobile vet centers there. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, I think that if we go back to that, if we're, if we say we're part of the community, if we say our job is to rally the community together yeah. uh, to welcome home those who serve, it's important to do that in times of need, yeah. to be able to go out there and say this community is struggling. It doesn't have to just be a hurricane. We've been out in forest fires and mass shooting events, uh, Fort Hood, when those challenges happen there. It's to come together and to connect with those individuals. I mean, the reality is that when these things happen, people get activated. Yeah. And. If we're if you know, if individuals are looking for reasons to say no, then we need to deal with it. We need to go to where they are, connect with those individuals and and meet whatever need we can in those kind of situations. One of the things that we really like to do is partner with groups like the American Red Cross or other organizations like that. And then you create a, like a single a one stop shop for that community where c- citizens come in and the Red Cross then meets their needs and veterans come in and they come over to us. But we're, we're connecting, you know, on a, I think in a deeper way with that community. Mm. Very good. 
and I think you've already touched on this, but like cemetery, like like the NCA, you guys, uh, vet centers mostly hire veterans, right? Yes. Uh, what roles do they do they serve within the vet centers? Well, what roles can you serve? You know, I I, I know I know there's readjustment counselors. Uh, I know there's outreach specialists. You know, I don't even you know what we talked a little bit about uh, outreach specialists. What other roles are there in a vet center? Absolutely. So a vet center on average is about six or seven employees. Hmm. There's going to be a leader. We call it we call that position a vet center director. That person is going to be a mental health professional in their given field, whether that's social work, psychology, marriage, family therapy, licensed, maybe a licensed professional counselor. And they're going to have an advanced degree. Hmm. Uh, or advanced licensure, rather. Then there's going to be a series of counselors. We call them readjustment counselors, but it's the same thing. These are mental health professionals in their given field. So they have an advanced degree in that given field and either working towards or have advanced licensure. Do those degrees, does do the community's needs matter with the degrees? Do they correlate with the degrees? Like, hey, this one, has, this area has a lot of family, needs a lot of family counselors, so we'll get a family counselor down there. Yeah, that absolutely. Huh. I also think Good. that it is it's it's perspectives that each of those degrees, uh, each of those schools of thought, they 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 have different perspectives and different they they approach the work with veterans or service members or just people in general. They pro, appro, uh, approach that differently. Yeah. So we're trying to create multidisciplinary teams to be able to meet whatever need is in that community. Right after that, we have outreach workers. Um, and, and their job is to go out and create those face-to-face -face connections. And then we also have an office manager who does administrative tasks and makes sure that we can keep operating. It's also that welcoming, uh, that first face that veterans see. So those are positions that we have within the organization. Gotcha. Uh, and that's, that's what makes up a vet center. Exactly. Gotcha. That outreach specialist, uh, is that what knocked on your door in the barracks? No, it was actually a counselor. Really? Um, is that their kind of their gig is knocking on doors? What else do they um, do? They have any involvement with interfacing with the community? Like what? What? What's? What are their roles? So anyone who works at a vet center does goes out and does outreach, mm. and that really goes back to our founding. You know that grassroots effort to go out and find all the Vietnam combat veterans. So we have counselors that will go out and do that kind of work in addition to what outreach workers are, are doing. I think the important thing to have a counselor go out and do that kind of outreach is uh, take my experience. It's the, all right, what I'm, what I am experiencing is not normal. Well, that counselor can go from outreach to direct services right there. Yeah. I think if that counselor wasn't there that day, that would have been a missed opportunity. Hmm. I mean, at that time, that's what I needed to hear. Now he was very forceful. It's interesting enough, he was a sergeant in Vietnam. And so it was, yes, sergeant, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> He locked you right in. Yeah, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever I need to do, I'm doing that. But it's it's that kind of connection. And then immediately be able to go to those direct services. When we talk about peer-to-peer -peer in vet centers, I think in terms of peer-to-peer -peer on steroids. Peer-to-peer hmm. -peer is is veteran to veteran or, or being that that veteran to veteran connection. So a large a large number of our counselors are veterans. So once we make that instant connection, then they can, then this is the steroid portion. They're able to then fall back on their training, their licensure, their skills to be able to provide the best readjustment counseling possible. That veteran experience is just the door opening. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. There was a news release recently talking about how vet centers are partnering with National Guard on drilling weekends. What's that all about? Yeah, you know, it's the the National Guard, uh, I think, like like everywhere is there. There's experiencing uh, suicide. 
Hmm. Uh, and it's really about how can we go out and find individuals, make them aware of what's available. If there's a crisis situation, meet that crisis before someone decides to make that kind of decision. Part of this relationship is- That kind of decision being- Being make that final decision. Like I'm, I'm going to hurt myself or- Or hurt others. I've lost hope. And I think that's really what it's about. It, 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 suicide is it's, it's coming into a situation where I, I feel hopeless and there's no other choices are, are out there. So how can we go out and, and connect with these individuals and, and show that that's not the case? To help them say yes when all they want to do right now is say no uh, or or have some kind of negative consequence. Within this National Guard relationship, is it's really going out to these drill weekends and connecting with them, helping them understand what we do within vet centers, what's available, but then also to be able to provide services or connection to those services for those that need it. If they're not eligible for our services, then it's about can we find a place where they are eligible for? That's and that, good. That's and that goes good. back to to our just our eligibility in general. That roadmap, yeah. building that roadmap. I think one of the other things that makes vet centers um, uh, that that very unique, and that is anyone who walks into a vet center is not going to be turned away. If you truly are ineligible for our services, we're going to spend a little bit of time with you to find out where you are eligible for. Good. And it's making those connections. What it also allows us to do is it finds ways to qualify an individual. I think in counseling, just like in life, we're trying to get two questions answered. Do you care about me and can I trust you? So when they come into a vet center, they might ask a home loan question or something like that. What I'm really hearing with that is that- Top level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if you tr if I can trust you yet. I don't know if you care about me. So we're going to see how you do with a home loan question. Give you a softball. Exactly. And if you do a good job with it, I'm going to let you into the things that I am not willing to talk about right now. That might have been my subconsciously <laughs> doing that back in Everett. But what that what that allows us to do then is really qualify somebody. I think about an individual who does not wear military sexual trauma on their sleeve yeah. and might not be at a place to feel comfortable enough to talk about that. So we allow a little bit of flexibility with our counselors to begin to provide or connection or relationship with an individual. And then from there, there might be a way to qualify them hmm. and then continue those services. And if there's not, is there another place that we can get them connected to to help meet their needs? Hmm. So we've heard about your success story. Do you know what are some other, you know, you don't, we don't have to name names. What are some other stories that, you know, where a vet center has helped a veteran? You know, it's. That is, you know, when you say success story, I, I don't see it that way. I, I see that I've been extremely fortunate to be around a lot of amazing people that have helped me along the way. Very well. I go back to our staff. You know, I, I think about, we were talking the other day, um, Mobile, Alabama Vet Center. Hmm. Veteran is, um, veteran meets uh, one of our outreach workers in the parking lot. Or not, excuse me, one of the veterans meet our outreach workers at an outreach event. Fast forward a couple of weeks, they come to the vet center looking for that outreach worker. Outreach worker's not there, they leave. We go, do you, you know, we're asking them, do you want to talk to a counselor? No, no, we don't want to do that. He goes out to the parking lot and actually opens up a Facebook Live uh, video or, or connection and starts saying things like, I'm going to hurt myself. The wife sees it, immediately contacts us. And we're able then to get together, get with the police, find where this individual is. The counselor goes to the hospital, 
because uh, they they eventually not the medic, VA medical center, but the the veteran immediately or gets to the hospital, a community hospital. We take the spouse to the hospital. We're connecting with that individual. We're making sure their needs are getting met there, and then working on follow up and those kind of things. And I think that speaks to what vet center is all about, and that is going above and beyond to meet that individual need, whatever that is. And it's that it was a a complete team effort at that local vet center, you know, they very well could have said once the um, once the police got involved, all right, we now off. made the handoff. Yeah. But they took it that extra level to make sure that the family was okay, because that was a very stressful situation, to make sure the veteran was okay, and then to start talking about what's next. And I think what we're finding is that there's examples like that from vet centers every day, that they're going out and making those connections or, or those kind of amazing things are happening. That's awesome. And the Marine Corps, we called that engaged leadership. You know, if you had a Marine that it's almost like you were in, if you had a Marine that that had an issue like that, hey, that sergeant walked was there that whole way, you know, making sure the family was good, making sure the, you know, that's that's awesome to hear. You know, I, I think and I, I go back to our, like our outreach workers and, and those kind of things. We see our outreach workers. I don't think it's enough to say, here's our phone number call when you're ready. Yeah. I think when we do things like that, we've given uh, an individual, some individuals reasons to say a way no. out. Yeah. Yeah. What we see our outreach workers doing, here's our phone number, well, we're going to call you. Our counselors, we're going to keep calling you. And it's that aggressiveness in the beginning to get them over that hump and say, okay, I, I am going to come in. I am going to talk about this. What's been the biggest challenge vet centers face currently you know, I think in, there's interacting a, with, the, with the customer base or the communities? I think there's a couple of things. I think awareness is is one of our challenges. And I think what vet centers are really good at is that face-to-face -face connection. Yeah. Direct marketing. Uh, say again? Direct marketing. Exactly. Yeah. Where where we where we are working to improve is everything that leads to that face-to-face -face connection, going out and creating awareness on a larger scale about this is how you connect to a vet center. This is what a vet center is, and just increasing that reach out. It's why we created a communications office in our organization. And really what that focus is to go out and tell our story mm. and to create that awareness to just bring let more people know that that we're available to find more of those individuals out there. I think the other unique challenge that we are getting into in our history of our organization is that right now we have individuals in every life stage, every adult life stage. So you have individuals like the Vietnam generation that is in that retirement phase. Uh, there is Iraq, Afghanistan in that in in those younger stages yeah and prime the, of their lives money making stage exactly yeah. and the needs in those stages are completely different those in via you know the older generations they're looking about what can i give back to the younger generation what is my life meant closure the younger generations are starting to think about what is my life going to mean and i think that that's something we need to be very thoughtful of in how we provide services to get those needs met because I think that when individuals get needs met, they're more likely to engage in services. Yeah. And when they're engaging in services, they're more likely than to identify a goal, create a support structure, accomplish the goal and do those kind of things. I think the other thing is they're more likely to do is to be able to say, if comfortable enough to say, I'm thinking about hurting myself today and being able to say that out loud to a counselor or something like that. And then so then we can stop that. Yeah, that's a. You're right. That's a hard thing for someone to say. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, the other interesting thing with vet centers is that 
about three or four years ago, those who served in Iraq is the, became the largest group of, of individuals we provide services to. Before that, it was the Vietnam combat veteran. Oh, wow. And what we're seeing every year is that gap between Iraq and Vietnam is growing. More, more, more individuals coming into vet centers served most recently in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, is that has that made you change your approach? Well, of course, because you're talking about closure versus mm -hmm. versus um, in what ways are you guys changing uh, your approach? Well, I, I think part of it is going out and how are we going out and engaging with these individuals? One of the things that is happening now, post-deployment health reassessments, yellow ribbon reintegration mm -hmm. events. Those were the things that, you know, those who serve in Iraq and Afghanistan, those you had to sit through through a couple of days. They're happening not at the same intensity as they were, you know, in the height of the war several years ago. Yeah. So I think the challenge now is how are we going out and making those face-to-face -face connections? Because that low-hanging fruit is not existing. Second to that is what's going to keep that individual engaged in services? You know, at a vet center, and this is, you know, every vet center does individual group marriage family counseling. Yeah. How they go about doing that or even who they partner with in the community is really based on that need. And we have a lot of flexibility or our counselors have a lot of flexibility in doing that. You know, if they want to run a guitar group, they can run a guitar group. If they want to go out and do something else, try something else to keep that individual engaged. We have that flexibility, whether that is doing yoga, meditation, guitar, art, maybe some kind of physical activity. Now, our clinicians then put that, they'll put a therapeutic component to that. Yeah. They'll make sure that it's connected to some kind of counseling plan that's helping them identify their goals. But it's, it's, it's creating programming or services that keeps that individual engaged, that keeps them moving forward and their family forward to some goal that they've identified. You know, our focus, and it goes back to, it starts with a therapeutic relationship, making a connection, being able to answer those questions. Do you trust me and, can, and can, do you care about me? And from there, through an assessment, we're going to create an individualized plan based off of where you want to go. And then our counselors have the flexibility to begin to implement that. Very good. Very good. Um, any future goals, short term, long term? Uh, what, what, where do you see vet centers in like 10 years or five years? Well, we're growing. We're growing. And I'm sorry. How many, how many are there? Right now we have 300 vet centers. We have 80 mobile vet centers. Uh, we also have over 900 community access points. The community access What's points, that mean? it's kind of similar to a mobile vet center. These are places where we're going out dist into distant communities and using some borrowed space, maybe at a, at a VSO or, or maybe in another place where we're providing services at the level that that community needs. Okay. That could be once a month. It could be a couple of times a week, but it's it's extending our reach. You know, we're, we're doing a lot of work right now in vet centers and really redefining what a vet center is. Hmm. I don't think a vet center is the four walls that make up one of our brick and mortar facilities. I think a counselor, wherever that counseling is op wherever that counselor is operating, they are the vet center. The services they provide at one of our brick and mortar facilities or community access point or on a mobile vet center are all the same. And what that allows us to do then is to be more flexible, to decrease those barriers to care. Our community access points of today could become our vet centers of tomorrow. Sure. And it's about providing services, like we said, at the level that that community needs and really being thoughtful about that and trying to decrease those barriers to care. So I see the future is creating, uh, is expanding and 
and being very thoughtful about where where we're providing services based off of the need and and going back to making sure we're really understanding what is the need of that local community. Are we getting the right non-traditional hour? Are we are we providing the right non-traditional hours? Are we providing the right services that help those individuals in that community set those goals somewhere in that large spectrum yeah. and work towards accomplishing those goals and 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 moving forward like that. How about a digital presence? You guys ever thought about a digital presence? So actually that's, you know, our- Like a digital vet vet center? You know, it's interesting that you brought that up. We are we are exploring those kind of, those kind of options. Going out and looking at, can we, can we go out and, and outreach in the same way, create those digital face-to-face connections? That is something that we're thinking about. You know, Gen Z, they're, they're way different than even me. So, you know, I- it, <laughs> It's for all them Redditors out there. Absolutely. Um, Mike, is there anything that I haven't asked that you think is important for our listeners to to hear? Well, we did not talk about our call center yet. Hmm. So we have the Vet Center Call Center. It's a 24-7 call center staffed by combat veterans of all eras and a family member of combat veteran. Oh, wow. And 877-WAR-VETS is the number. But really what we use that as is a place where anyone can call, talk about their military experience, their transition home, but most importantly, get connected to a vet center. We can do lie or warm handoffs to vet centers so we can make sure those individuals get connected to a counselor uh, and set up an appointment and those kind of things. We also do warm handoffs with the National Crisis Line if that kind of situation comes up. So it's, it's just trying to get, how can we get any individual who reaches out, whether that's through an outreach event or even through the call, down to that vet's service to they need. to make that connection. All right, Mike, take one minute, take three minutes. What's your pitch? I'm a veteran hearing this for the first time. I think that the pitch is that, that you're out, what's next? So you get out of the military, where, where are we going? What can we do? Vet centers, what can we do to be helpful for you? Where do you want to go next? How can we make and help bridge those gaps or 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 wherever, take it wherever that you're interested in going to? You know, it's not just about coming in account to a counselor and talking about the war. It's help, how can we put you in the driver's seat of wherever you want to go? That might mean at some point talking about war. We don't have to talk about that. Maybe it's helping your family you know, your spouse or something like that. But it's, what can we do for you? And then also, what can we do to to take you to that next step? Are there services that we want to connect you to uh, that you're interested in? And going from there. My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. I want to thank Mike for coming on the show. A lot of good information there. For more information on VA Vet Centers, go to www.vetcenter.va.gov. And again, their call center is 1877WARVETS. And they also have a Facebook you can find out there in Facebook land. 
All right. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is Army Air Corps veteran Norman Aitchen. Norman was born in 1921 and lived in Tucson, Arizona when he decided to enlist in the Army Air Corps. At the time, Aitchen held a private pilot license and he learned about fighter planes before joining. After enlisting, he was stationed at Bartow, Florida. Aitchen flew and fought in Germany during World War II while piloting a P-51 Mustang flak hit Aitchen's plane. He made a belly landing and Germans, and Germans captured him as a prisoner of war. While a prisoner, Agent was interrogated by a Gestapo agent and was kept in solitary confinement. He escaped and met up with men from Patton's army. Following his return to the U.S., Agent went on two months leave in Florida to be with his wife. After leaving the military, Agent attended the University of California at Los Angeles, UCLA, where he completed a degree in science. He and his wife had two children, while Agent worked as a sales manager and the and then president of Highland Laboratories. In the years after, Agent started his own business, earned a law degree, and authored a book about his experience in the military, his capture and escape. Sadly, Norman Agent passed away February 8th, 2010. We honor his service. That is it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just email us at podcast at va.gov. Include a short write-up and let us know why you would like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, and we are also syndicated on We Are the Mighty. DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Mm-hmm.